Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. The reading for this morning is out of Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And it says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is today's reading. You may be seated. Well, if this is your first time here with us at City Collective, welcome. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, we say this often, that wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, and just ended up at church today with a friend perhaps, uh, we hope that you feel welcome. Uh, We hope that this can be a space where you are considering and discovering perhaps who Jesus is and who he might be to you. We're in the middle of a series where we're journeying through the gospel according to Matthew. If you have your journals with you this morning, we're in week three. I think it's page 60 of your journals. And over the first two weeks, we've seen that Jesus has migrated from the Sermon on the Mount, from being on the mountainside where he's communicating this manifesto of what the kingdom of God looks like as it breaks into the world. And he's moved now into the streets, into the towns that dot the Sea of Galilee. And it's no longer just become a nice thing that he's saying. It's become the very life that he's living. It's become his actions. It's become his interactions. And we're seeing what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks into the world. The last two weeks we've looked at a couple different stories. And the passage for this week is, uh, is not a, a story in particular where we're going to look at that one in, in a lot of detail But I want you to look at the overlying idea that is presented to us and that culminates in this declaration from the book of Isaiah. That he bore our infirmities, or he took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. That is to say that he is a God who heals. So the, the title for our talk today is The God Who Heals, and then we can put in brackets, Still. I know for myself, when I consider uh, a journey of faith and I think about healing in the ways that I've experienced it growing up or amongst Christian circles, I don't know if I had the best impression. Uh, I had a lo- there was a lot of wonderful things about the church that I grew up in. Uh, but I remember one night in particular that there was a gentleman who was visiting the church and he was praying for people and he was praying for people to not be sick, and uh, I, I remember I was at the front asking for prayer for something, and he got right up in my face. And the only thing that I can really remember from that interaction was simply the fact that the dude needed a breath mint. <laughs> he's praying for healing. He's, he's, he's declaring all the things that were going to be incredible that God was going to do in that moment, and he's just needing a mint. And, and I felt like he was pushing me and he was prodding me. And I was like, get off of me. Like, if, if God wants to do something, he's going to do something. 
but you should probably do something about your breath first. Like, it's, it's, it tainted that experience in a lot of ways for me because it felt like it was something that was be forced, manufactured, manipulated. Perhaps you've seen that play out for yourself in other ways or in other circles, or you've just got a, a certain, you, you don't trust when people talk about healing. Or you don't trust when things like spiritual gifts or the supernatural is brought up. This passage in particular is meant to just simply state as a fact, not as a demonstration, not as something to stir up this dramatic response, as a simple fact that Jesus in his ministry, Jesus in his everyday going on, he heals. And he responds in a way that meets people in their deep need. There are, there's so many factors outside of simply knowing who Jesus is that seems to dictate our interpretation of what Jesus says. We create a different Jesus than the one that he is and he claims to be. We make him simply maybe a nice guy, a teacher, a guy who went to a cross really because he was generous and sacrificial. Maybe a friend, a rabbi, a leader. We, we're okay allocating titles to him that we're comfortable with. But alongside all of those, we do see as well that he claims to be and he is throughout his life and ministry, he is a healer. In the Gospels, there are a multitude of accounts of Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says something very simple. It says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. About 20% of Luke's Gospels are stories of healing. And the synoptic Gospels, which are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they share a lot of similarity. Maybe it's language you've heard before. But if the synoptic Gospels were to simply summarize, these eyewitness accounts were to summarize the ministry of Jesus into three things. It would simply be that Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was casting out demons, and he was healing the sick. This was the summarized articulation of the ministry of Jesus. This was who he was and this is who he is. And it wasn't isolated in our interpretation of who God is to the ministry of Jesus or to the Gospels. Throughout the Old Testament, there are names attributed to God to demonstrate his character. One of those names is Jehovah Rapha. It appears in Exodus chapter 50 and verse 26 where God says to the people of Israel, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, the context of God's revelation of his name, Jehovah Rapha, is an incident that took place earlier in the wilderness, in the wanderings of the Israelites. So the people of Israel... They were freed from slavery and they enter into the desert. And they had just left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and they went for three days in the desert without finding water. I think you know that without water for that long of time, things get a little bit hairy. They're not going particularly well, especially for a whole nation trying to migrate its way through a desert. 
And the Israelites' test was amplified because they came across a body of water, but to their great consternation, they could not drink from it. They called the water Mara, which means bitter. And in turn, for many of them, their souls began to turn bitter. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, what are we to drink? And Moses would, came before the Lord and he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. This is all in Exodus chapter 15. And in verse 25, he shows him a piece of wood. And he places the wood in the water. And the water miraculously, miraculously became fit to drink. Immediately after the Lord healed the waters of bitterness, he identified himself as this, as Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. Now catch this. He doesn't just heal the water. He heals the people. And the healing of the waters was a demonstration of God's power to overcome the impurity, contamination, and corruption that slips, slips into things that were not intended to be that way. That is to say... When we think about healing, we might need a shifting of thought. Often we characterize it in the, the most dramatic of terms or in circumstances. We, we paint pictures along these lines. But when we look at this narrative, when we look at the story out of Exodus, we see very simply that healing is returning that which has been corrupted to its intended state. That there is impurity and brokenness and corruption in the world that has made its way into the people of God that carry the image of God. And the desire of the king is for his people to be made clean, to be made pure, to be made back into the way that he has created them to be. Jehovah Rapha has the power to heal physically emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And Jesus Christ, in his arrival onto the scene, is the fulfillment of the Jehovah Rapha that was demonstrated throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't even just the simple isolation of the physical healings that we see taking place throughout the ministry of Jesus. It is the spiritual. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's the relational. It's the reconciliation of people. It, it's, it's the emotional. It's people seeing themselves in the light that Jesus wants them to see themselves in. It's seeing the, the, the architecture of communities be brought back together in the way that he intended People were drawn to the aspect that is simply the healing that Jesus brings when his presence enters a space. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick before him. And they begged to let him simply, to even touch his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Jesus proved himself to be Jehovah Rapha in the flesh. Now... I say all this to lay a little bit of a foundation because I believe and I experience it myself that it is extremely easy to dismiss the power of Jesus and just simply try to look at the teachings of Jesus. However, in his ministry and in the anointing of his disciples, Jesus calls his followers to do as he did. And that's not just be generous and kind to people. That's not just to see those who are 
are, are needing support or needing the generosity of the followers of Jesus. It is actually to follow the ministry of Jesus, which is the breaking in of the kingdom, the casting out of demons, and the healing of the sick. And this is hard for us, especially within our Western worldview, to really grab hold of. And it might seem far, far-fetched. It might seem like a simply discarded idea that can be an ancient one. But I believe like a passage like this that we see in the Gospel of Matthew here in chapter 8 is meant to simply demonstrate who Jesus is. And the funny thing is when you are saying I am a Christian, you are claiming to be a little Christ. To be like Christ. And to be like Christ is not to simply cherry-pick aspects of his character that we think are nice and doable and achievable. It's to see the fullness of all that he does and say, I'm going to follow that. And that includes the ministry of healing that he undertook. There are four ideas that I want us to explore this morning. uh, The first being that Jesus empowers his followers. In Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus is being who he is and he's being a healer. In at Luke chapter 9, Jesus gathers his disciples and he asks them to continue his ministry. And he gives them the authority to do it. In Luke chapter 9 verse 1, it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Then in verse 6, it says, So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Later in the story, they come back to Jesus saying, Everything that you did, Jesus, we did. Now there is theological arguments around the idea of healing that often swing to two dramatic sides. One takes the idea of cessationism, and maybe you've heard that language before. Essentially, it believes that the works and the power and the spiritual gifts that were present in the time of Jesus ended with the disciples. That they were the ones who were anointed to go, and it simply ended with them. On the other side of it sits a a more dramatization of the spiritual gifts, where it it can be extremely... uh, overwhelming in the way that it is presented and and undertaken within Christian circles. That it becomes more about the gift than the giver. And in many different circles and different conversations, this is how humanity leans. Even in like a space of politics, people lean far, far right or far left and they go in these different directions and they miss the point in a lot of these conversations and there isn't an openness to what is actually trying to be done. This can be the same in this conversation of healing. We are not meant to simply honor a gift because the gift is fantastic and beautiful and exciting. Simultaneously, both in the teachings of Jesus and in the life of the early church, I think we can say with a lot of confidence that the spiritual gifts that were present then are very much present now. Not everyone is simply trying to just push someone down or or waving their hands so that people fall over. There is the real working of the Holy Spirit in the world today to bring brokenness into a place of healing. And it's important to note for us that one of the ideas we'll talk about is that it's not simply a physical healing that we are not 
that we need to always be looking at. If we look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, that whenever he engages with someone that is experiencing some kind of brokenness or, or faltering in their, in their life, we see that he doesn't just simply heal them, but he makes sure that, he know, that they know there is a spiritual healing that has also taken place. There's a forgiveness of sins. And then he often invites them to enter back into community because he wants them to experience the relational healing that's possible through the work that he's done in their life. Because he understands this, the very thing that all of us understand, that we are a lot more than simply what happens to us in a physical sense. We are a lot more than just one thing or one idea or one experience. We are the conglomeration of our emotions and our relationships and our physicality and our spirituality. All of it together and Jesus wants to heal all of it. So to isolate one or the other or to dramatize one, to focus on one, it, it, it does a disservice, I believe, to what Jesus actually desires to do in the breaking in of the kingdom in the world. So we see that the disciples of Jesus are empowered. And then that doesn't end with, with that story. And James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. And he was known as a man of prayer. In James 5 it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the Lord will raise them up if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Of a The prayer of a righteous person, person is powerful and effective. When we have a revelation that the ministry of Jesus is more than simply the teachings and the words, but it's the very life that he lives and invites us to step into, I believe that our expectation is meant to shift. Not to a place of entitlement like we talked about last week. But an expectation that is based upon who we believe him to be. Jesus did things like this, like healing back then. And he's asking us, do we have expectation, the expectation as followers of Jesus to see healing in humanity now? And this, this doesn't have to jump straight to the dramatic. This doesn't have to jump straight to the real healings that we see take place in the world, whether it is uh, cancer or the falling off of tumors, sight to the blind, those are beautiful and necessary in our world, but it's also the extension of forgiveness to each other. It's the approach of the rejected. It's the freedom of those in bondage, which is the casting out of demons in different scenarios. It is the anointing of power upon people. This is what Jesus does when he breaks into the world. Now, just as you're hearing it, I'm saying it, and I feel almost the rejection of these sentiments within me. I'm not sure if I can really grab hold of it. It seems to push up against every Western sensibility that I have been conditioned with. It seems to be beyond reason. It seems to demand an action that I'm almost not willing to take. But according to the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we are ordained as followers by God, with the power to heal the sick supernaturally. So the question we're left with is, what are your expectations of the Christian life? Do we actually expect this to take place? 
Because the ministry of Jesus is available for the church, for our church. The healing ministry of Jesus is the restoration of God's creation back to its intended purpose. I mentioned it, that Jesus engages with the whole person. And healing through Jesus is the restoration of the physical, the mental, the relational, the emotional, and the spiritual. Why did Jesus spend so much time healing? This is what N.T. Wright has to say about it. He says when Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of a future reality, but this was reality itself. This is what it looked like when God was in charge of God when God was in charge of God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to say, justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But from whatever angle you look at, Jesus, he was concerned not just with the outward structures, but with the realities that would involve the entire person and the entire community. There's no point putting the entire world right if the people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. And I love that sentiment because I know for myself, it can often be easy to pray for our world to be healed. That countries and people groups and, and communities would experience reconciliation and healing and breakthrough. That we would see that take place. And it's so much harder to pray for the individual. To actually believe that healing would take place. Healing was and is a primary marker of the kingdom of God breaking in. And it is Jesus being the life of God experienced here on earth. So what does Jesus do? He forgives. He casts out demons. He heals broken bodies. He restores relationships. He, he welcomes the outcast. And he looks at the entire person and he calls them his. This is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's way. And it was meant to be experienced for all people. So the question that we face is, okay, so why doesn't it look like that in every space for me now? If healing was such a large part of Jesus' ministry, why don't we see or expect it within the ministry of the church today? And I think there's a number of different reasons that we are faced, and the really honest ones. Just at a baseline, we are conditioned with a really secular worldview. It's a really materialistic worldview, one that denies the possibility of the supernatural in a significant way. And we've often adopted this as a church. As, as ch the church as a whole. We've taken this as our primary perspective. In our context, what we've adopted in the Western church is Western philosophies of the Enlightenment and of scientific, rationalistic thinking somehow as the primary means of interpreting our faith. We have stopped interpreting our reality of the supernatural and the spiritual through Jesus, and we've done it through the workings and the writings of the enlightenment that we've been conditioned with. Charles Kraft says, it's interesting and discouraging to, to know that even though we're Christians, our basic assumptions are usually the same as those of non-Christian Westerners. Western society passed through the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and a wide variety of ripples and spin-offs from the movements. The result was 
that God and the church were dethroned and the human mind came to be seen as Savior. And from that mindset, the church has become less about looking like Jesus and more about appealing to culture. As if we have to convince the mind because our minds have been convinced. Rather than simply having a revelation of Jesus and wanting to be the revelation of Jesus in the world. And what does that kind of approach create? Well, it creates consumer Christianity. One in which we are simply receiving good ideas, good thoughts, and having a mental assent to a good idea. We have made conversion and not discipleship the goal. Just say a simple prayer and keep on living your life. And we've lost this, this deep need for discipleship into the way of the kingdom of God, which requires us to practice the way of Jesus. And Jesus is often meant, made to seem as if it's the most convenient option. I've had conversations with individuals in the past week that are experiencing real fights in their life as they try to follow Jesus. And I've had to tell them almost in a in, in a way of, uh, I'm sorry that this wasn't the case that you were aware of, but following Jesus is not the easier path. It's not the convenient one. It's not the comfortable one. In fact, it will push up against all the ways that you have been conditioned and formed by culture. Jesus has been made to seem to be something that he's not. And discipleship has been reduced to a loose affiliation with spiritual consumerism on a Sunday morning. Jesus is not an accessory to an activity. He is meant to be our core from which we live. And when we stop confronting this very clear reality that I face every single day in my own very being, what ends up happening is that we accelerate ourselves towards a lukewarm spirituality that God says we will get spit out. Christian maturity isn't spirituality. It is integrity. And integrity means the quality of being honest. It's the state of being whole and undivided. And it is consistent and uncompromising. That is to say, it takes the whole life of Jesus and pursues that to make our whole life. We misconstrue this. Someone who maybe prays really well. Someone who maybe stands on a platform. Someone who is engaged in a, a consistent spiritual rhythm. Those are not the real signs of Christian maturity. The real signs of Christian maturity is do they live and look like Jesus? And that does not just end within the characteristics that we desperately do need. Generosity, self-sacrificing, kindness towards one another, grace that is shown. But it's also an engagement and a belief that our faith holds when we face distraction and destruction. When we face this impurity in the waters of the world, we come at it with the belief that Jesus is one who heals. And so we pray for healing just like Jesus did. 
That's integrity in our Christian walk. And it doesn't need to be dramatized to do it. It comes out naturally. Have you had a conversation with somebody that just comes at it so beautifully with a natural response of faith? You tell them, hey, we're, I'm, I'm struggling with this at home, or I've, I know this is going on, or I, I'm, I'm sick with this. And their first response was, is right away, hey, can I just pray with you? I just, I just want to pray with you to believe for healing. And they don't have to make it awkward. They don't have to make it dramatic. They're not pulling out all the stops to somehow make you feel as if there's something dramatic taking place. But there is a trust and a belief that the Jesus that is in the Gospels, the Jesus that worked miracles and casted out demons, that anointed his disciples, has anointed his followers today to do the same. We need to stop living in this space of consumer Christianity because it is stopping us from living like Jesus. And you have to be honest because it might not be in everything, but it might be just in one thing or two things. And that might be the one or two things that are holding you back from living fully into the person that Jesus wants you to be. Simply hearing and not acting cannot be the posture that followers of Jesus have. It has to be more than that. Because we want to have an expectation that God will continue to move in our time. Within the story that we just read in Matthew chapter 8, perhaps you noticed that Jesus was first going to Peter's house and then he sees Peter's mother-in-law and he performs a healing. Touches her hand. Seems like kind of an interruption to his day, but he does it. And then right after, it says that people were brought to him that were demon-possessed. And he, and he healed them. And he casted out the demons. And this is a scenario that plays out often in the ministry of Jesus that we have to learn to be comfortable with. Comfortable Christianity has a really difficult time with this, but this happens to Jesus over and over. Jesus embraces interruption. This is a consistent element of his ministry. We don't like being interrupted. John Wimber says, We see according to our expectations many times, and our expectations come from conditioning. We're taught to expect certain things in the Christian life. And we miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. Jesus was certainly okay with interruption. And we need to be the same. Healing in the New Testament is a byproduct of Jesus' presence. So just think about this. You and I are called to carry the presence of God. And this is Paul as a Pharisee working out the theology of the temple from Genesis to Malachi. And in his own life recognizing that Jesus is the incarnate God. He's Yahweh in the mind of a, Jude of, of a Jewish thinker. And the temple is no longer the place that is isolated where God resides. It's the people. Think about it that in our interruptions is the space where often the Holy Spirit works. And it doesn't have to be a dramatic interruption like you're driving down the street, someone swerves in front of you, and you're like, i got to pray for that person who swerved in front. You might be actually cursing them, let's be honest. Often, it's something as simple as this. You might have an encouraging word that breaks down the discouragement in a coworker. 
where we are so locked into our rat race that we can't see outside of it. Instead, we're invited as followers of Jesus to be part of the ministry of healing and we're pausing ourselves. And we enter a space and we say, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see the work that needs to be done. And it might simply be a word of encouragement to a co-worker. Maybe it's, it's a word of positivity that breaks through the self-hate that someone's experiencing, that they're carrying. And you just happen to say it. Maybe it's a random moment where you give that life-giving wood into the water that brings out the impurity that someone is carrying. Most of the healings of the New Testament were the result of an interruption. And so the question that we face in our journey of faith is, are you open to interruptions? Not just the machinations of, of spiritual formation that you set for yourself. I'm going to read this morning. I'm going to pray at this time. I've got 30 minutes before bedtime in which Jesus is allowed to talk to me. Are you actually open to real interruption in your day? The involvement of the Spirit of God in all that you do. Where you are asking and inviting Him to work through your life. Jesus is healing Peter's mother-in-law and he's interrupted. By the, and he, he arrives at the house and he's interrupted in that healing. Uh, he's at the house and he's interrupted in the casting out of demons who were brought to him. Last week in the passage that we were reading, he shows up in the town and a servant comes up running to him and interrupts him in that moment and he provides healing. He's taking a nap on a boat in a couple weeks and he's, he has that interrupted and he brings calm to a storm. Jesus' consistent posture of healing was one of interruption. There's a story of a woman who breaks down and cries and brings this alabaster jar of perfume. And this was a healing moment. This sinner with a reputation in that town is weeping at Jesus' feet in the sight of those who held authority. And Jesus makes sure that they see her. That they simply see a sinner, but he sees her. And he brings healing in that moment. And he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word saved means salvation and healing. Sometimes when we think about faith, we can really over-construct what it actually is doing. But faith in actuality is not meant to be the thing that actually does the work. We may sometimes make faith the ultimate. It's who we place our faith in. Faith is noted by Jesus as this place of trust in which we push through the barriers of our insecurity, of our cultural rejection, of our shame, of our fear, and we simply come to him. Jesus is interested in the full restorations of our beings. And the final thought, worship team, you can join me at the front. Jesus employs the ordinary. Where does healing begin? I heard this, this idea from Tyler Stanton. that He says that those who are powerfully healed become powerful healers. And the Spirit empowers missions, not through our gifts or our strengths, but through our wounds. Common people, you and I, who have been powerfully healed by the healer, that are now called to be healers in this world. The scandal of the early church, this explosion that changed the world, wasn't their gifting, it was their commonness. 
powerfully healed people becoming powerful healers. Perhaps you've heard the story at the end of Jesus' life. There's this moment where Peter, he denies knowing Jesus. And then later on in the Bible, there's a moment where Peter is standing before the authority declaring who Jesus is. What happened? He was healed. The brokenness and insecurity and shame that would wish to make him unlike he was intended to be was healed by Jesus. Think about it. He stood before the authority declaring who Jesus is and not long before he was more concerned about the words of a teenage girl and how that might make him look and how he might be perceived and what that might mean for his life. The powerfully healed become powerful healers. Do I believe that we need healing in the physical? Absolutely. But every moment in which Jesus touches our life is a moment of healing. Maybe you've had someone say something to you that sits as an open wound every time that you enter a church. He wants to heal that. Maybe you've you've made a mistake within a relationship or within a marriage that feels like this open wound that cannot be healed. Jesus wants to heal that. Maybe there is an anxiety that rises up within you because of things that have happened in your childhood or in, in a community space. Jesus wants to heal that. The powerfully healed become powerful healers. And what does that mean? The chronically anxious can become a non-anxious presence in the chaos of our world. The addicted can become a safe harbor for those who are looking for their own freedom. The depressed can be filled with the joy that passes all understanding and give it away. The sick can find supernatural healing and carry hope in the darkest of situations. The insecure can become champions of the image of God that exists in each person they meet, courageously inviting people into the very life that they previously hid. The quick-tempered can be flooded with self-control and bring the healing that they need to others and healing that they can bring to spaces that they were never invited into before. What is healing? Healing is bringing life where death has taken hold. And the beautiful thing is, is that when you accept Jesus into your story, when you say, I'm going to follow him, you are choosing life. And so every bit of you that is wounded and needs healing is now touched by the very thing that it so desperately needs, and that is life. Life in and with Jesus. 
you are certainly called to be a person who heals and carries that ministry in your life. But it has to begin by being a person who accepts the healing that Jesus wants for you. Can we expect this morning that Jesus is going to heal you? We know our wounds. In naming some of these different areas, maybe you felt, yeah, that's definitely the wound that I'm carrying. Jesus wants to heal it. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.